It's your boy Rabino. And this DJ Erm in the building. And you listen to the Up and Up podcast. Yeah. Wait, what are we doing? I don't know. Just listen. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What to do, what to do. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuning to the Up and Up podcast. I'm your host, Rabino. And I'm DJ Erm, man. How you feeling, man? I'm good. Good? I'm ready. Feeling great? Yes, sir. Feeling better? Living yep. better? Always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got wake your game up, bro. My <laughs> nah, man. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, this is the oh, Up and Up podcast. Hence the name Up and Up. We're we're here dedicated to share um, amazing stories of individuals who are grinding, going after what they want. You know, letting nothing stop them from getting getting that. You know, and they're staying on the up and up and constantly cultivating culture and all that good stuff, right? Yes, sir. Um, before we get to it, I do also want to always shout out all the consistent supporters, the listeners, the viewers, uh, man, the champions, those out there who are helping us and pushing the, pushing the movement, man. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Uh, make sure you to rate, subscribe, and review. You can catch all our episodes on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that. All that. And what? And like it and too, like right? it too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one you forget. Yeah, but it's yeah, cool. I know, I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not on my ish. Um, now getting that out the way. I mean, if you're a consistent listener, you already know, man. We always bring a guest with a compelling story, um, someone that's going to inspire you, someone that's going to motivate you to want to go after yours and, and whatever it is you're going after. Um, today's guest, I would say, is a woman that is continuously setting an example uh, for our culture on how to u- on how to use your voice to uplift those who, who don't have a voice. Um, I would say she's a true leader who's keeping everything she's doing on the up and up. Otherwise, she wouldn't be in this seat today. <laughs> Um, you know, she's a recipient of many awards and accolades, um, just to name a few. Uh, she's a Seattle King County NAACP Presidential Leadership Award recipient, uh, C- City Arts Artist of the Year Award, Seattle Poetry Slam Grand Champion. Uh, the list goes on. I, I yeah. mean, how much time we got? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we all got curfews. Um, and of course, uh, Last but not least, she she was the first political candidate of the Seattle People's Party to run for mayor of Seattle in the 2017 mayoral election. Our guest is none other than a determined, and in the words of Maya Angelou, phenomenal woman, Nikita Oliver. Can we get a round of applause? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we got an audience today, right? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. It's been a long day, but I'm really honored to be here on the yes. show. Yes, yes. Thank, thank you for you, coming. We you. appreciate you. And again, yeah, it's been a long day, um, but hopefully we can, we can, we can get through and we can get these people through it too mm-hmm. and get and, and pick them up. <laughs> it's always about teamwork, right? Right. Yeah. Teamwork make the dream work. <laughs> um, now, if you're not familiar with the show, we usually start it off with a quote of the day, um, just something to get the mind right. You know, get our vibe right. And my guy right here, you know, he's a man of words. You know what I mean? He always got these quotes running yeah. in his head. So, what you got for us today, man? Well, this one I got it from uh, Nikita's website. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay. the quote is: "Justice is just us." Being just us. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know who said that? Who? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> it's in a poem I, thought, I do. <laughs> I thought it was somebody else. With, with the way you I would have had that. a quote. You know, I would have put quotes around in a little. Yeah. You got to well, cite your work. My mm-hmm. plan was to let you explain that. Oh, you know, that's so nice was, of you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, it's um. I wrote a poem uh, for an event. Uh, that w- It was a Water is Life event. Mm-hmm. And um, I had gone to Standing Rock to work with the Red Owl Legal Collective and to take supplies to some friends who were out there. And after the event, when we came back to Seattle, or after being there, when we came back to Seattle, um, we knew we probably couldn't go back. You know, like, Mm -hmm. we have jobs here. Mm -hmm. We have people who depend on us. Mm -hmm. And um, a friend of mine, Matt Rimley, and another friend named Rachel Rachel Heaton, uh, both Native folks, um, were organizing an event, and Matt asked me if I would write an original poem. Mm -hmm. And so... um, that line is in that poem thinking about water and thinking about justice Mm. and just the idea you know um the law and justice are two totally different things Mm -hmm. and in fact the law has to be constructed to serve justice Uh, but at the end of the day especially for you know people who are marginalized by the system 
uh, when it comes down to it, real justice is us getting to be just ourselves. Mm. So justice is just us being just us. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you know, for justice to exist, we have to choose to be a just people. So that's real. That's real. I think I think it's like it it also aligns with just living in your truth. You know, a lot of times society tries to, you know, um, restrain us from being who we want to be and who we are Mm -hmm. and being Mm -hmm. comfortable and being who we are. So, yeah, that quote, that quote speaks volumes. For real. Definitely. It's a good one, that. man. Look yeah, at you, yeah. man. No, I feel all honored. You. Know, <laughs> you read my website. <laughs> know, Views up. Look at you, man. <laughs> That's what's up. Um, so, you know, obviously, for those who are familiar with your work, um, what we like to do is actually give people a more candid, transparent look at the people that they support the most, the people that they follow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get into everything you're doing currently, but I do want to kind of take it back a little bit to kind of the upbringings for you, right? Um, you grew up in Indiana, is that correct? Yeah, Okay, cool. So, so tell us a little bit about growing up in Indiana and I guess um, how that kind of influenced, you know, your, your journey and your trajectory. Yeah, um, born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, my mom is this five-foot, uh, real fiery white lady, mm-hmm. uh, prays a lot, always asks me, how I'm doing in my faith. Um, and my father is a black man from Louisiana. Okay. And um, Indianapolis is uh, a place, unlike Seattle, where racism is very much, um, it's bold. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the kind of like passive racism mm-hmm. we experience here. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a place where I very much knew there were differences in the way people were treated based on skin color. Like I had no illusions Mm. about that but I also grew up in the church um and so uh kind of like my first experience of being a lawyer Mm quote-unquote was being in church and asking really hard questions Mm -hmm. um and so kind of coupling those two things together of like growing up in the church learning to ask hard questions but also watching injustice kind of manifest right Mm -hmm. before my eyes Mm -hmm. um gave me like a very deep sense of a Sometimes I call it a little bit of a justice complex because mm. if something unjust happens in front of me, I have a really hard time just sitting, sitting still. Sitting yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. just sit with it. Like even as a kid, yeah. Um, if I got in trouble for something I didn't do, or someone else got in trouble for something yeah. they didn't do, and I knew it, you know, I would start running my mouth. <laughs> um, so you know, in terms of like where I am sure. now, it's very much rooted in in who I've kind of always been. Yeah. As a child, and my mom um, has almost has always encouraged that, mm-hmm. uh, using my voice, expressing my thoughts. Um, even, even when it was, I think maybe to her mental and emotional detriment mm-hmm. with my little teenage self, but, um, <laughs> it's called know, evolution, right? <laughs> you know, you, you learn to, yeah. you to choose your battles a little better as For you sure. get older. But, sure. um, I think that, you know, growing up in Indiana, that was a big part of just kind of how I live my life yeah. was knowing that that you should speak up for r- what's right. But also, my mom is a very compassionate individual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and really taught my sister and I and, and my siblings that you should always give first, that serving people in service is very important mm-hmm. to um, how you change the world and mm. how you win over hearts and minds. And mm. so she also really instilled in us a sense of compassion and empathy for people around us. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah and I, I, love, I love just kind of hearing kind of the upbringing um I, I don't know much about indiana i know michael jackson from there right um, from gary people <laughs> gary. always people always say to me are you from gary i'm like yeah right. not all black people in indiana are from <laughs> i'm gary. not gonna lie though when i when i read that you were you know when i heard i actually listened to um the glow up podcast and yeah. i heard that you uh, grew up there so i was like uh, was it gary i, I didn't know you know <laughs> that's what people yeah. always say yeah yeah, yeah yeah so um why seattle so uh, how did that that's a great question yeah. i'm gonna tell y'all a top secret story that I've probably told on three other podcasts. Um, So uh, I mentioned my mom is very much in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up, we did this thing called Bible quizzing, where you would like literally memorize whole chapters of the Christian Bible, Mm -hmm. and then you would go places and compete against other children to see who knew the Bible best. Oh, that's real. I didn't know that. It was was deep. (laughs) They had these little seats you would sit on and you would try to jump up before the other people. Oh, damn. You could pre-jump and complete the question. It was very intense, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It was deep. So um, I came out here. um, It was either my junior or senior year. I think it was my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, to Seattle Pacific University to compete in a national Bible quizzing competition. Oh, uh, so it's a big, big league. Yeah, right. it, was, yeah. it was a uh. big deal, y'all. It's <laughs> going down. <laughs> and um, I was at SPU. Um, it was the year before my senior year. And so um, I hadn't really thought about going to college. That was not really something that was on my on my wavelength or I wasn't thinking about it. Um, 
but then I got out here and I realized how far it was from Indiana and the cornfields and it mm-hmm. like kind of felt like a new world. And so mm-hmm. um, I got back to Indiana and I was like, I'm trying to figure out how I get to Seattle. I also very much like the rain, mm. um, and I really liked it then. I still like it Interesting. now. Interesting. I know, Interesting. right? Most people, <laughs> yeah, I, I like the rain. I'm from here, but I like the rain. I love right. it. It gives, it gives me a good balance, you know? helps me focus, but. It makes things feel fresh. You know, it's all green yeah, out here. And yeah, so yeah. Um, I was like, I think I want to move to Seattle. Okay. And um, I used college as my opportunity to do that. Mm. And obviously sure. that came with some challenges because SP was not, the friendliest school oh, yeah. for, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's, private. it's a private school, right? It's a private liberal arts evangelical school. And, w- and when I got there, it was only 4% students of color. Mm. Damn. Um, so it was not the friendliest environment mm-hmm. to, to step into as someone who was kind of like growing into knowledge of self. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and also so. kind of going from, uh, you would say, kind of more rural, a rural area into the city well i mean indianapolis is pretty city okay um it's i kind of it's like a confused city like people there are kind of country but we live in a city oh. um but it's way it's got a much larger population of black folks okay right? so okay. you know so that's a di- that's that's a difference right there yeah. oh huge difference yeah. yeah for real wow okay well um since we're on the topic of you coming to seattle and moving you know moving I guess out west, if you want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> the wild west. We're trying. We're trying to get away from this country. We're trying to get away from this country. Should I just say the wild west? All right. Um, you know, obviously, college is is a tool. A lot of people use, right? A lot of great leaders, a lot of great thinkers use to kind of figure out what it is they want to do, right? Yeah. Um. So for you, obviously, you you witnessed a lot growing up in Indiana as far as like injustices. But what was kind of that first cause that you rallied around? I know for me, like when I was in college, that's when I kind of became woke. If you want to mm-hmm. call it that, right? That's when people are getting involved and going to rallies on campus and things like that. But what was kind of that first cause for you that told you, you know, I, st- I feel so passionately about this that I'm going to dedicate more time than I usually do? Yeah, it wasn't even really a cause. Um, so at SPU, when I got there, they did this thing called Early Connections. Mm-hmm. And um, really it was get all the black and brown and poor students together in advance of the rest of the students getting there so they can have some friends and I feel like they get drowned mm-hmm. by the rest of the students. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I made some friends that first week fresh from Indiana, like have never seen a public transportation system like the one Seattle has, even though it's not great. Like I I hadn't been anywhere yet. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, I got a little bit of culture shock going. Um, and then all of the white students show up (laughs) and, uh, I couldn't find the people that I had arrived at SPU with. Mm. And I remember being like, yo, mom, I got like $700 in the bank. I'm about to buy a plane ticket. I'm coming home. Like, I can't stay yeah. here. Yeah. I'm homesick already. Yeah. Um, and my mom was like, no, you ain't. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no room here for you. We already packed up all your stuff, you know? Decisions um, Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm stuck here. And uh, I had to go to this chapel thing because SPU had requirements that you go to a certain number of chapel hours a quarter and mm do a report so uh yeah it was crazy yeah that's i'm I'm a different i'm a different human than i was then but (laughs) um there was this guy there named dr john m perkins who was speaking because they were also opening the center for community development and economic development at the school to make better relationships with communities okay and um dr perkins starts telling this story he's a kind of like a famous civil rights leader uh from mendenhall mississippi and he's like doing the southern pastor thing Mm -hmm. and He's getting loud, and I'm like, okay, okay, I can, like, get with this dude. Like, I understand where he's coming from. And he tells this story about some researchers, well-intentioned, they go into a neighborhood, and they they try to tell the neighborhood what the top 100 issues are that they need to deal with if they want to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, the community looks at the list, and they're like, well, your list is great, but really our biggest issue is the rap problem. Mm. And the researchers are like, yo, that's like – at the bottom of our list that's yeah. not that's not really priority yeah and um the people were insistent no we need to deal with the rap problem first and luckily these researchers listened to the community and when they dealt with the rap problem or, or helped bring supplies and make that happen 70 percent of the list the health issues and the different issues that came up within the community disappeared mm. um and dr perkins tells this story to remind people that no matter how many resources you have, no matter what school you went to, no matter how smart you are, you will never know a neighborhood or a community better than they know themselves. Mm. And so your job is to, if you go into someone else's community, listen first, follow their lead, because 
they are they have the solution yeah those who have proximity to the struggle mm-hmm. actually have the solution they yeah. should also have proximity to power and so that for me that story that he told has always framed the way that I do my work um, and really became a moment where I was like as much as I feel like I don't fit in this environment at this school there's something I can get out of it mm-hmm. and if I can continue to get knowledge and wisdom mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. um, then I can build the way that I want to work in the world. Mm. And so that really started to set me on a trajectory of, of always believing that I first and foremost want to listen to the community, yeah. follow the community's lead, and that will show us how to do our work right. Yeah, it's kind of like being a leader amongst the people and not in front of the people too. I kind of right. see it that way. You know, a lot of people want to lead, but they don't know who they're leading. They don't really understand who they're leading, you know? Right, um, or like Ella Baker said, um, a strong people don't need strong leaders. You know, like if the people are healthy and strong in the absence of a figurehead, mm-hmm. the people will continue to organize themselves for their own good. That's real. You That's know? real. Yeah. That's real. For real. No, I like that. And and um, and I think it's interesting, too, just kind of going to being at SPU. I, I can kind of attest, I'm sure, a couple cats in here, too. Like we went to Wazoo and mm-hmm. it's PWI, you know, and, you know, in the moment you're like, man. Ain't no, ain't no black people here, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, I, I don't like this, you know. And you see these mm-hmm. HBCU homecomings and shit, and I'm like, damn, I want to be, there. I want to swag surf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, but now looking back, like that experience made me stronger, you know. Understanding that I was the minority, I was in a class where it's all white, and mm-hmm. I was still able to to excel, you know. And that's the that's the thing people don't understand. I think the environment you're learning in, the environment you're you're trying to thrive in, plays a lot into your performance. Totally. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I often tell people, um, as hard as SPU was, it really prepared me for, like, the kind of work that I'm doing now, because mm-hmm. you're always going to have to deal, at least in the world we sit in now, you're going to deal with whiteness and white supremacy, you're mm-hmm. going to deal with classism and sexism, and um, that environment for me became a real organizing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a mentor, Joe Snell, um, who who told me, you know, you may not like it here, but don't leave this institution the way that you found it mm-hmm. um and part of that was because he knew that they would use my picture on their uh advertisement on, bro- on, uh, <laughs> on the brochure I, you Diversity. know i don't want to be selling something that isn't <laughs> yeah. what it is you know but also you know his philosophy always was like what's what can you learn from this and and how can you make this place better and i definitely learned a lot at spu in terms of learning how to move through that environment and make myself successful yeah. that prepared me for just dealing with living in a a very white context or I mean there's other factors there you know being a woman Mm -hmm. being uh brown being Mm -hmm. queer you know not coming from a wealthy family you know Mm -hmm. um and and learning how to navigate um and a lot of ways I tell my young people like hustle the system Mm -hmm. um if you can learn how to hustle the college and university system you can learn how to hustle any system like ultimately what I learned in undergrad helped me end up getting a Juris Doctorate and a Master's of Education at the same time because I was like, oh, you can get schools to share credits and then, like, while well, they're paying for law yeah. school, they'll pay for yeah, my yeah, Master's, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. We call that you know? finessing, right? Right. <laughs> finessing, for real. You yeah. know, just taking those skills that we've learned in other places and flipping them to make them work for you, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the world that you're living in now. That doesn't mean that I accept the world as is, but, you know, we still got to thrive, right? Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think we have to finesse. I think as a we people, I think we've been having to finesse, you know, since we've been here. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. These resources aren't being handed to us, so we got to find a way to finagle the system and, and get what we need. Um, so I guess in, in what ways were you able to make your presence felt on that campus? And then I guess outside when you kind of left SPU, I'm sure you did a lot of different things to try to, you know, use your voice and, and try to impact um, the school before you left it. Yeah. What, what were some ways you did that? I mean, SPU, I would say, is like the space that I radicalized in. Okay. Um, when you are one of very few students coming from a particular background and you're sitting in the back of the classroom, and um, short story, it was my senior year, it was a sociology class, and this girl says, um, isn't bologna like the poor meat, so do like black people mostly eat bologna? And I remember <laughs> sitting in class like, I'm going to lose my mind on this girl. <laughs> and I only got three weeks left at this school. Like, I have got to keep it together. Yeah. Um, and luckily in that moment, there was actually this girl, I'll never forget her. She had bright red hair. Um, and she fired back at her and said, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. And I was like, that's right. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was a part of a lot of clubs at SPU. But some of the biggest things that I got to push was for, like, systemic and institutional change. Mm-hmm. So SPU did not have um, a multicultural director 
and that's what we called it at the time, as a part of the um, SPU Associated Students body. So you had like vice presidents for everything but addressing issues around diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I got in that role, uh, that person didn't even have a desk or a phone or a computer. And I'm like, how you expect somebody to do all this work in this white wealthy institution, mm -hmm. but they don't have a desk or a computer or a phone to do that work, and mm -hmm. they're getting paid 80% less than the other people mm -hmm. that are working within student government. Mm -hmm. And so um, really started a push for equity in that role because we're oftentimes getting asked to do equity work, but not getting an equitable resources to do that work. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and uh, so I learned a lot through that process about how do you make systems transformation? Because you can... You can make minor changes and make people's individual lives better, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to actually make a systems change can transform the way that people have to interact with the system that's been marginalizing them. And so um, it was things like that about how do you get something moved into like a mainstream space so that it, it's functional, but it's also long lasting. It doesn't disappear after you're no longer yeah. in the role. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, people don't think much about a desk or a phone or a computer, but it's really hard for them to get rid of yeah. a position once they've changed the whole scheme of the office and spent money on, on making sure that position exists. That's and real. So, That's real. Um, that was a, an important uh, lesson I learned while while being at SPU. Yeah. The environment's everything, man. Yeah. I think it is. Like like you said, they're little things. They're like minute things nobody cares about, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of times those can be the biggest things to us. Right. Right. Um, now I know you want. I know you want to do some mayor mayor talk. Right. Yeah, I know you yeah, want yeah, to. Yeah. You wanted to get into. Yeah, I was just getting caught <laughs> up in the SPU story. This <laughs> no, no. Is, you know, is, I'm just. I feel like uh, there's a lot of relations there uh, with him saying that we went to Washington State. So, kind of feeling some of that stuff you're saying. It's taking uh, me back for real, yeah, man. Yeah, real Don't talk. go back there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I pretty much just wanted to ask you, like, how did you get into like politics and running for mayor? Yeah. Uh, um, I, I will 100% tell you I have never had aspirations of being an elected official or mm -hmm. really getting into politics. Um, but kind of going back to that story I just told y'all, um, you know, we can mitigate harm or we can transform the system that's doing the harm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my running for mayor was not even really an individual decision. Mm -hmm. I didn't wake up one morning and be like, I want to run for mayor. In yeah. fact, I woke up a lot of mornings going, oh, my God, I am running for mayor. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, and so, and, and not because I didn't think I could do the job, but because, you know, um, even if we had won, it wasn't going to be the easiest four years. Like, we would have mm -hmm. spent that four years um, in a lot of ways, fighting a city that thinks it's progressive and trying to push the needle on what progress really looks like, right? Yeah. So it would not have been an easy four years. Um, but the way that I ended up deciding to be a part of, of us running together, and I say us because it was a whole team, like I was working full-time throughout the election, mm -hmm. um, which is not what most people running for office do. Yeah. Um, and that meant that there were a lot of things that a typical candidate does that I could not do, so I didn't yeah. needed a team to make that work. That's real. Um, but right after um, 45 was elected, you know, a lot of people kind of started to give into like a sense of political apathy. Like, what are we going to do? Like, the world is on fire. Everything yeah. sucks. And I'm just not that kind of person. You know, yeah. I'm a boxer. Like, I'm like, let's get in the <laughs> yeah, ring. You know, let's yeah. make something happen. Yeah. Um, if you train hard enough, you can win. You know, that's the way I look at things. And so um, we started getting together for like coffee and for dinners and like getting groups of people together talking about, well, what can we do? And the answer was, why don't we do something politically at the local level? You know, with the understanding of if you want people to mobilize, you have to serve people first. Mm -hmm. You have to have a vision of what it looks like to really change the conditions that people are living in. Mm -hmm. And so we started talking about that. And over time, people were like, we should run a whole slate of people for office. Now, running a whole slate of people would have been a serious yeah. task, right? Yeah. It was hard yeah. enough running one person. For sure. Um, but we came down to, well, why don't we run one person for the executive office in our city? Because an executive position, executive power, actually gives you a lot of position to make big changes. That's real. Especially when you talk about the budget of a city. And, you know, in my opinion, your budget is a moral document. It outlines what your values are, who you value, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. what values mm -hmm. you want to see manifested yeah. in your city. And mm -hmm. so that's a lot of power to be able to put that forward in a budgeting cycle to, to write that whole thing. And while the city council gets power to change it or, you know, make yeah. changes on it, you're the starting point. So um, one of the aunties, actually a lot of the aunties in the community kept coming to me and being like, we think you should be the candidate. We, we think you should be the candidate. And I was like, 
no <laughs> like i will happily support anyone else yeah, but yeah. like come on i'm like anti-establishment y'all i mean yeah. half the city knows my politics already yeah. like um but they were like no like we trust you uh, we believe in your integrity. We think that you'll hold to message, like whatever as a body we agree to, that that's, that's what you'll continue to put mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, even if we don't always agree with you, we never have to question where you land yeah, on the topic. Yeah. Well, you won't play the politics. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. Um, what got me, though, was right after um, the Muslim ban had happened, um, one of the aunties asked me to go with her to do some talking with Larry Gossett about how the county could become a sanctuary county. And we met with him and we talked and um, that meeting went really well. And we leave the meeting and she was like, yo, you did that really well. I don't understand why you won't run for mayor. And we had a long talk about it. She was like, okay, okay, I'll respect your choice. And the next day, this is how I know they didn't respect my choice, is um, a young person comes up to me at Creative Justice and says, yo, Miss Nikita, I heard you're going to run for mayor. <laughs> I was like, Ooh. Streets is talking. I was like, your auntie is talking. <laughs> and, um, you know me, I love young people. And I said, well, what would that mean to you? And this young person starts telling me, well, seeing somebody who reflects my community, someone I know, someone I trust, you know, it makes me feel like maybe I could run for mayor. And that's what got me, yeah. was knowing how important it is that we do things that disrupt the current narrative Mm -hmm. and starts to transform the story to tell something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, for me, it was never about the running for the office as much as it was about how do we amplify the voices of our community Mm -hmm. and how do we start to transform the conversation? And there was a point when we were running that we started to realize, yo, like we could win this and do something very transformative. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we don't win it, What's the long game, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, developing the Seattle People's Party is really important yeah. that we get a, a third party in the city that does represent the voices of people that are most pushed to the edges of our city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because um, we're seeing across the nation how important it is to have candidates that reflect that story and honestly yeah, talk about definitely. those stories throughout elections. No, and that's that's a big thing. That's one thing I think you kind of touched on was representation at the end of the day. Um we talked about this on a, on a few episodes, but it's like the attempt in itself is a win right. sometimes, right? Like, yeah. even if you don't win the election, the fact that someone saw you run and, and go hard for it is enough sometimes for us, right? Yeah. And being where we're at. Mm-hmm. And nothing like, man, when some of these uh, young girls come up to me and they're like kind of, um, they're having like a moment and I'm like, yo, I'm just Nikita. Like, what's <laughs> yeah, up? Yeah, you yeah, know, good. but then their moms are like, She's really inspired by you. Like watching you run made her feel like she could do something she didn't think she could she could do. Yeah. Um, it's really that means a lot to me. I mean, Winnie would have meant a lot, and it would have been a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. And I, and honestly, we got close. Yeah. Yeah. We got real close yeah. to making it to the general election. Um, it's that story that like shows me how much power it has because imagine that twelve year old, that fifteen year old, that seventeen year old, ten mm-hmm. years from now. Mm-hmm how they're going to live their life differently, more rooted in their self and like how they believe what they can do, whether that's to decide to go into politics or something else. Yeah. There's like a new sense of like empowerment. Yeah. And um, I think that really means a lot for our community. No, nah, definitely, man. And we, we appreciate you too for the work you did and, and the whole team as well. Like, cause it was dope for me, at least, you know, living in Seattle, growing up out here, I never, um, I never saw an election I don't know. I feel like I feel like when black people are involved, it's just more exciting. I don't care. I don't care what nobody says. I don't know with anything, you know. Yeah. But like, you know, when you were involved, it kind of got me more involved and wanted to stay in tune. And I'm not like again, I don't really follow politics to be honest, um, as closely as maybe some of my friends would like me to. <laughs> but um, but seeing you definitely made me pay attention, mm. right? And I think that that just speaks volumes right there. Yeah, definitely, because it kind of it kind of shows me like, oh, okay, we're getting our foot in the door now. Yeah, so right. that's where that inspiration for like younger people starts to kick in. They're like, "What? Okay, even if she didn't win, boom, this young the person." The door's cracked open. Yeah, yeah, the door's cracked open. This young person might be like, "Okay, I'm I'm about to win this," and yeah. then if that person, it's like we keep trying. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And my real hope is that you know, if young people do decide to step into that, that any candidate we run inspires them to know they can they can do it as their full self. Mm-hmm. That you don't have to play the politics game. Exactly. Yeah. That you yeah. don't have to take corporate dollars. That you don't have to be the person who negotiates the justice your community needs just mm-hmm. to get a seat. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we had all these political consultants that would come to our campaign and be like, yo, y'all are really viable. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need to do X, Y, Z. And it, sometimes it would be stuff like, 
you know, wear these clothes or use these talking points. <laughs> oh, and we would be like, nah, nah, <laughs> nah like, fam. I, I like my kicks, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. like I'm, I'm good. Love and, I look, I'm good. Love and joy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, and we actually piss people off because we weren't willing to take, you know, those kind of consultants on yeah. our team because we were like, no, nah, we want to do this genuine and authentic we want people to know who they voted for mm-hmm. as opposed to then that person gets in office and you'd be like but you said xyz yeah now yeah, you're yeah, doing yeah. abc yeah. which is kind of what our city looks like now but yeah and it's crazy you brought that up because i was talking to one of the homies shout out my guy kenny um from hack nation and um we were just having a conversation about a lot of how much money the city of seattle has right and and how they're allocating it and whatnot and um, I remember I was asking him to tell me a little bit more about, like, you know, applying for grants. I have friends mm-hmm. who were asking me about that as well. And he was telling me how, like, yeah, man, you know, they're, they're willing to give you some money. When it comes to us, they'll give us some money, but they definitely want to keep a close eye on it, keep uh, keep a close watch on it. And if it does thrive, they want to kind of put their name on it as if yep. they did it, yeah. right? And it's like, it that's the part that sucks. Because I, I do remember going into an actual grant workshop and seeing a bunch of white folks in there who know the system, know the process, they're mm-hmm. in and out. And I'm just sitting there like, wait, what? the hell does she do what (laughs) did she take a class to learn how to do this shit like you know so um i think i think it's right and i think you guys staying firm on your stance and your messaging is what what really matters at the end of the day right right because you want to you want to be shown in the right light yeah Um, you want to have integrity exactly Mm -hmm. um now speaking of you going into being um a candidate uh for the mayor's office i think um i want to kind of get a sense of so you said you were kind of seen as more radical right beforehand Mm-hmm. And so what are what are some adjustments maybe you did have to make in terms of your messaging and kind of how you decided to voice uh, your message? Obviously, you know, if you're coming in as a, you know, uh, marching on the street activist, then you, you become, you know, mayor candidate. I'm sure you kind of have to have two different approaches for those, right? Honestly, um, I actually didn't shift. Okay. Um, what we did was a lot of work to shift the narrative. I got you. Um, so where originally they were just calling me Nikita Oliver, the activist, um, we started putting out our own media, calling out the media, saying, why are you going to take this person and just put activists mm-hmm. when there's also attorney, mm-hmm. educator, mm-hmm. community organizer, Talk about it. artist. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's a long list of accolades that I have um, that are just as important as anyone else that was running for that same gotcha. office. And in fact, with some of them, it's the exact same accolade, um, at least three of the six front runners were all attorneys mm. i'm also an attorney why is it you forget that i yeah. worked hard for my juris doctorate yeah. and to pass the bar yeah um just because i'm also an activist and that's mm-hmm. crazy because for us like as a community we want to support you right but if they're painting you in a light where all right. we know you as is an activist and that's you know we're kind of just going to run with that so when people ask why nikita i'm like oh she's an activist well you know <laughs> right <laughs> why wouldn't you vote you know yeah. but like we wouldn't even know the the layers that are behind that right Right. That is important. Though. And I think the flip side of that is also, though, um, we really tried to shift the narrative about the value of activists being in elected positions. I mean, the truth of the matter is you don't have to have just a law degree to understand how the law works. Mm. In fact, I know tons of community organizers who can tell you more about how city council works than some of the city council members can mm. because yeah. they've schooled themselves to know how to advocate for their own communities. Mm. Right. So, um, part of what we wanted to do in shifting the narrative was getting people to realize that everyday people actually have the knowledge and capacity to be elected officials. And in fact, that was the intention when this system was set up, or mm-hmm. at least the superficial intention. Yeah, I mean, we know what yeah, the other intentions yeah. were, but you <laughs> yeah. know, there was this idea that as long as you went and finished a public school education, you should be capable of being an elected official. Mm. The real critique I think there is if we don't believe that to be true anymore, that critique is of our public school ed- system, right? Mm-hmm. Really what we're saying is our public schools are not good because yeah. we're not yeah. educating an educated populace, yeah. right? So we really tried to turn those kinds of narratives around and get people to start thinking differently about who's a qualified candidate, mm. you know, quote unquote. Um, nobody who ran for mayor in this last cycle had been mayor before other than Mike McGinn, right? Mm-hmm. And there's critiques of how he was as a mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, so what makes a person qualified? Um, I, I don't know. I, th- I yeah. mean, right. you know, for me, I just <laughs> you know, it kind of goes back to when everybody's like, oh, you know, why'd you vote for Obama? Like, cause he's black. <laughs> <laughs> I'm voting for him cause he's black. You I know, feel but. like in that election that might've been <laughs> yeah. appropriate, you yeah, know, you know, and for that, for that election. But it, I'm, that's kind of on a more bigger scale, but just more so just, we don't know these candidates as well as they make, make mm-hmm. us, um, make them out to be right. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is 
um, being aware, you know, it's hard, it's hard for us to vote when you don't know who it is you're voting for. Right. right. And you see it all the time and how politicians switch up. And so you're like, why even bother with this person sometimes, you know? Right. So I think, um, and I think that's why a lot of people don't vote or don't follow politics. Cause mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like if people are switching up on you, then it's like, why would I engage anyways? It doesn't yeah. feel like it matters if I vote or not. And yeah. we really wanted to, to help change that narrative for folks. Like it does matter if you vote or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how can we do things that give us candidates we want to vote for? Yeah, definitely. Consistency. I think, yeah, that, that says a lot. Cause now like the emphasis is just voting period. Not right. even about who to vote for, you know? Right. So vote. that's like, that's, that's kind of like mind blowing. It's like, damn, we're not even willing to vote because it's not authentic to us. Really. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, rem- I remember like when Hillary Clinton was running and, um, she went on the Breakfast Club, <laughs> and uh, they were Wait, like, "Wait, Hillary Clinton Hillary was on the Breakfast Club." She was on the Breakfast Club. Yeah. I have to Google. This. Yeah, she was on the Breakfast Club during her campaign, and they were like, "Oh, she's just pandering to black people." You know, she's you know doing this. She did like the hot sauce in my bag. With oh, Beyonce. I think I heard about that. Yeah, so yes. I was like, a lot of shit like that just makes me like, I'm like, all right, man, like, is this what you're really about? Is this really you, or are you just right. are you just doing this to try to appease me for my vote? Right. So, yeah. I think I think some of the integrity in voting has been kind of. Um, erased mm-hmm. would you would you kind of agree with that yeah I, don't know. I mean i definitely think um in terms of like is there even anyone to vote for mm-hmm. but also like you look at what's happened post this last uh national election mm-hmm. and all this stuff with russia and what's coming out about you know what happened in terms of just overall tampering of the mm-hmm. elections yeah um yeah. i think people have a lot of reason not to have a lot of faith in the quote-unquote democratic system mm-hmm. in in the u.s right yeah uh because you know between not always having candidates that you feel like represent your interest or representation at all mm-hmm. um now you don't even know if like somebody's playing a game with you mm-hmm. um and so that's terrifying mm-hmm. and then you look at the way the media spins things and like the the use of narratives that are untrue to get people to vote for particular mm-hmm. candidates i mean yeah. it can be very much um it can it, it's disconcerting but i think it can make people feel so disillusioned with the system that suddenly they're like i don't even want to engage yeah yeah um and that's a really dangerous place for us to be because then <clears> what you're going to have is extremists who do engage right and then ultimately they end up controlling the whole system and then you get donald trump exactly. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's yeah. true yeah yeah yeah, no, yeah. 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 so i mean uh, there is an importance to prevent as well I, I think voting is is important to prevent certain things from yeah. happening as well so it's kind of just finding that balance um and so you know you, you do a lot you know you you know ran for mayor lawyer right um you know activist and you mentioned boxing right so <laughs> so i mean obviously with having a busy schedule doing so much i'm sure everybody here has other things they got going on but like what what's kind of stuff you use for me time I, is boxing one of those things or yeah, it, or is it uh, just do you have other things that kind training of? is a huge part of that okay um i box i do brazilian jiu-jitsu um i do road work obviously for boxing and for me like that's an important part of just staying grounded mm-hmm. i started boxing in law school because i would find myself sitting in classes where people would say crazy things and then i would want to like pop off and say crazy <laughs> things back right um and boxing really helped me kind of figure out like psychologically and uh and in my own physiology where those emotions settled Mm -hmm. so that when those things happened, I could actually really ground myself in the moment and figure out like, is this even something I need to engage? Mm. Um, Which has been helpful for me in all kinds of settings. Like even during the election when I would just be tired and I would have to do these forums on like three, four hours sleep, knowing like in some spaces there were going to be people who intentionally asked me extreme questions Mm -hmm. to try to get me to pop off because that's what they wanted to see. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, um, boxing became a real tool for figuring out how to ground myself in the moment because the last thing you want to do is get in the ring angry. Mm -hmm. I think people always think you want to fight angry, but reality is you actually want to fight grounded. You fight angry, you're going to throw haymakers in it and Mm -hmm. a good boxer is going to knock you out. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, boxing has become like a real tool for expression and self discovery. Okay. Um, you know, that's, that's me time in a sense, but it's also just like, people need to be healthy. Like, yeah, you know, that's real we, real. Need, <laughs> we need to exercise <laughs> yeah. in some way or something, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? And like, I think for me, that's self-care is trying to define self-care within the realm of health. Mm-hmm. And if you're not healthy, you can't serve other people. So really trying to think about, you know, I think sometimes we get taught to think of self-care, like go get a pedicure and take a bath. And those things are nice. But at the end of the day, like I want to be healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I try to do things in terms of my self-care plan 
that keep me in that space because I want to do this work for the long haul. Yeah, yeah. Do you compete Very as good. well? Um, I do exhibition matches. Okay. Um, boxing is a little hard if you're like a you know a thick muscular woman. There are not a lot of women at 165. Ah, the heavy um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, weight classes get in the way, but there are lots of exhibition matches that I get to participate in through the, the various gyms that I that I do work at. And then I'm hoping in the next year to compete in some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so, okay. Okay. Um, you know, get my grappling you skills up. You know what's up. crazy? <laughs> yeah, shout out, shout out my guy Howie with from Nine Rounds Kickboxing Gym. I actually, uh, I've done like a good four sessions there. Yeah. You know, get my pad work <laughs> on. And you know what's crazy is that like, um, I tell people, I'm like, man, you guys got to go try it out. It's not just his gym, but any, any, anytime you can put the gloves on. I feel like yeah, it doesn't feel like a workout when I do it, at least. You know, it's fun. It's fun. It's learning, so much learning, fun. The, learning the combos and, you know what I'm saying? Like, Getting you know, your Rocky yeah, on. You know what I mean? Feeling <laughs> like you're Apollo it's Creed, real, you know? It's real. <laughs> yeah, but, that, but it's good that you let the people know that, you know, if they did want to try you, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't even don't, try, don't it. Don't do try it. it. Don't try don't it. Don't try it. Don't try it. You don't want these problems. <laughs> or, you know, join the gym and, you know, maybe we could spar. You know? uh, there was actually a suggestion during the election, like, why don't you see if the other candidates will do a boxing <laughs> fundraiser with you? I was like, no, that's a horrible, oh, great yeah, idea. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> if, if, let's just throw away the vote. So let's just go up. Let's just put it in the right. Room. Winner oh, becomes man. winner. <laughs> that'd be dope. I'm pulling for that, man. I'm pulling for that. We, oh, I feel like man. that'd be dope. I, I think a whole new group of people would pay attention to <laughs> yeah. the election. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I just brought that up because, I mean, for people who are listening and watching, we always want people to know, like, yeah, you know, when you're going after your dreams, when you're going after what it is that's waking, keeping you up at night, it is important to find a balance. Yeah. Find things that you like to do, you know, and that only you like to do in a sense, you mm-hmm. know, so. Um, I got to shout out Rain City Athletics because hey, that's my team. Hey, shout, know, shout out Rain shout City. Out. Marcelo Alonso's and Ivan Salivaries for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, hey, you know, yes. got to put the people on. Yeah, let yeah, them know, definitely. man. Let them know, <laughs> definitely. man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's dope, man. So um, there's something I wanted to talk about, too. Um, oh, okay. You got really the way, the way he, the way he, the way he it got uh, so intense. I know. Yeah, I was like, man. I was like, I'm I mean, sweating <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm sweating, too. They didn't even tell me. <laughs> No, but uh, I mean, it's just happening in my neighborhood, and that's uh, gentrification mm-hmm. or gentrification. Um, I just kind of wanted to know what your thoughts are on that. And yeah, you know. I mean, honestly, uh, gentrification for me is just like extended colonization. Mm-hmm. Um, many neighborhoods in Seattle, um, especially when we're talking like Rainier Beach Central District, yeah, and even the Chinatown International District now, um, are experiencing like the second, third round of gentrification. It's not even the first. Yeah. Um, the central district went through weed and seed, um, and that was kind of like an earlier round of it. But like you, you have urban renewal even before that. Mm. Um, and then when the light rail came in, and when old Holly became yeah. new Holly, like there are levels to how this has been happening. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's in it's intentional. They know that when you do certain things, property values are going to change. Yeah. Property values change. You're obviously going to push out some residents. Um, and I mean, not to mention like places like the central district, um, that's not even where black folks would necessarily would have chose to live. We were redlined there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think part of when we, when we talk about gentrification, we need to talk about it within a historical context, yeah. mm-hmm. um, of remembering like first and foremost, we're already on stolen land. Yeah. Um, we're that's on, facts. we're on the Duwamish, Suquamish land and a city that's named after, um, uh, their chief. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, and in a county named after Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. And that context kind of paints the picture of, of really what gentrification is and that this isn't the first time that it's happened. And um, as a community, I actually think it's is we need to get to the point where we start to plan ahead of this curve. Yep. You look at places like Kent, um, Renton's already being hit federal yeah. way all the way down to Tacoma. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Up to Everett. There are communities that are like gonna they're in the wave right mm-hmm. they're gonna get hit by it so how do we start thinking in advance of that wave to start protecting our spaces um to start building economic mm-hmm. relationships with each other where mm-hmm. we make sure people can stay planted where we build community land trust yeah where we get cities and counties all on our side before that wave even hits mm-hmm. i'm thinking about places like white center and skyway that are unincorporated king county right now right 
um, and they want that land. Mm-hmm. Like Seattle wants that yeah. land bad because it's 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 prime land to continue gentrification. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things I would really love to see uh, Skyway and White Center do is actually start building their own community development plans, pushing back against that. I mean, those neighborhoods are already rapidly changing, right? But yeah. because they're unincorporated still, yeah. there's still a lot of play- space to make decisions mm-hmm. and learn from the past. And also, how do we help people stay in their homes? A lot of folks um, in the city and the south end have sold their homes because you bought it for however much, yeah, two hundred, let's say two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and now it's worth six hundred, mm-hmm. seven hundred thousand yeah. yeah. dollars. Like to us, that feels like a lot of money. But at the end of the day, property, having property, is valuable. Yeah, you know, that's a different kind of wealth. And black folks in the last recession, we lost more than anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Our home ownership is one of the lowest in the nation, and so. Um, while gentrification is real, I also think our ability to be self-empowered and self-determined is also very real. So shout out to Africatown and Y King and the work that they're doing around the community land trust and, um, trying to preserve black spaces. The same to the Rainier beach action coalition and Gregory Davis. They've Mm -hmm. been doing similar work in Rainier beach because we know how important land ownership is. Um, and for us, it's going to be important that we start to pile our resources together and build networks where we share that whether that's thinking you know creatively about how community land trust can look mm-hmm. or other methods we have to we have to start developing methods because bureaucracy is not going to help us mm-hmm. that, yeah you know I that's agree. not their I intent i think the city of seattle i feel like has a vision of growing wider and wealthier mm-hmm. whether they mm-hmm. want to admit that or not yeah when it you look at how is. the policies are unfolding yeah. yeah um that's the trajectory right yeah, yeah. no and that's and that, that's something when so when you brought up kind of like skyway and white center um and you know want wanting to get ahead of the of the game in a sense right part of me wants to like maybe you can school us on this but like let's say they did do that right would they ultimately have to get it signed off by the city or wouldn't the city ultimately have to sign off on it so they can kind of stop it there if they wanted to i think those i really deeply believe in the power of the people Mm -hmm. um and the power to community organize um there's a great group in white center um called the community development association uh celie savusa runs it and um, they've already done a lot of work around this, but one of the things I would love to see both of those neighborhoods do is actually start to develop community um, trust, land trust organizations that they can help families and homeowners mm-hmm. start to get into with each other because those kinds of agreements between community, the city's going to, one, look awful if they try to break yeah, that up. Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah, not that's a good look. Yeah, that's true. But two, like, are going to have a hard time legally yeah. breaking those mm-hmm. things. So yeah. I think... It's actually really important that we find ways to organize as community yeah. to start building those economic, those shared economic relationships yeah. Yeah. with each other because collective economics is really the only way we're going to be able to thrive as a community, right? We're taught gross individualism here, but even if you look globally, communities that survive, survive on, on collectivism. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the city could do could do some things, but, re- you know, realistically, those areas are both unincorporated right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of community organizers that work in those areas um, and some focus on economic development could really benefit families there. Wow. Damn. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> or maybe it's yeah. not first. Hopefully it's not first. <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> yeah, first, hopefully you not know, because that was not a new yeah, idea. I know, right? There's <laughs> <laughs> some old shit that y'all should have been on. Thanks, Let's for, say that. thanks for letting me sound <laughs> smart. <laughs> nah, nah, I, I agree with that too. I think, um, I think it is important. And I think... We kind of just have to be realistic about, yo, let's just start getting some small victories along the way. Because right. I feel like, I, I mean, for black people, it's like, yo, we just want to change overnight. And it's like, it's not going to happen that way. Mm-hmm. And I think we just continue to get small victory after small victory. And hopefully, eventually, it'll accumulate to, you know, being able to right. take con- take control back of what's ours. Yeah, you definitely. know, what? and part of me tries to believe, though, that a big victory <coughs> can happen while simultaneously doing the work for the small mm. victories. I think, okay. you know. Somebody made a decision along the way that white supremacy was going to rule how this place worked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the decision that has continued to impact the space, mm-hmm. right? That wealthy folks and men and Christians, that's who's th- that's who's going to get access to stuff. That was a decision that happened. That's real. So, you know, when people always tell me, well, Nikita, you know, change is going to take time. I always say, well, that's a decision you just made. You mm. just made a decision that change is going to take time, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And while that feels unrealistic, I think sometimes when we're talking about justice and we're talking about thriving, we've got to start using our creativity and our imaginations to set a much higher standard of what mm-hmm. change looks like mm. while working for the small changes to happen. Like we stay consistent and diligent doing that work. 
always keeping like a hopeful vision of what it would look like if we woke up tomorrow mm. and there was a big decision like that made, yeah. right? Because yeah. there have been yeah. times when those decisions have happened and they've had a huge impact for a lot of people. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not an impossibility. It may yeah. not be likely, but, you know, I love no, impossible I like that because yeah, we, we talk about real. that all the time. It's like, I feel like not just in this context, but in general, I feel like everybody's going to have their moment. At right. one point in your life, you're gonna have an opportunity that's gonna be in front of you, and it's like, what have you been doing mm-hmm. up until that point to prepare for that so yep. that you can mm-hmm. seize that opportunity? So I think, I think you're onto something here. Is is just staying diligent, getting those small victories, so that when that opportunity to take over overnight, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I like that's that's how I want to see. I just want to see it happen overnight. <laughs> but when, it, when when that opportunity does present itself, you know, we'll be well equipped to to take it and right. seize it. That's that's uh that's dope, and um. Part of, um, again, you do a lot. You do a lot. So <laughs> part of what you do that really um, inspires me, and I'm sure it'll inspire a lot of uh, the listeners and viewers, is um, the work you do with the youth, right? Right. Um, you talked about it a little bit earlier, saying that you're very passionate about that. Um, and I did get a chance to listen to your episode on The Glow Up with uh, Casey Carter. Shout out shout out to them. Um, but you said something that said um, focus is, uh, your focus is on liberating the youth who are caught up in the system. Something along the lines of that, Something right? Like that, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 I didn't butcher it that bad, did I? <laughs> no, nah, it was not <laughs> okay, bad. Okay, <laughs> okay. But but no, you you know, kind of um, being able to be there for those who have nobody, right? Yeah, you know, um, it goes back to the idea that those who have the closest proximity to the struggle should also have proximity to power. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, like the goal of the work that we do at Creative Justice is to create a space where young people can liberate themselves from that system. Mm-hmm and envision a better future for themselves and actually make that manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, Creative Justice is, is a really dope program, if I do say so myself. Um, but it's an arts-based, um, healing-engaged project where we work exclusively with young people that are caught in the criminal legal system mm-hmm. and um, are able to, to create a space where they make art, they tell their stories, and hopefully get free from that system. And the way that we measure effectiveness is not on how many youth don't catch cases. It's not about how many youth we've saved. It's really about how many youth have had the opportunity to affect and transform the criminal legal system. Mm. Um, We want a more restorative system, but Mm -hmm. the only people who can teach us how to do that are the ones who have been most impacted by the punitive and retributive system. And so um, we do that through arts and storytelling. Mm. We pay young people because their time Mm -hmm. is valuable, just like anyone else's, right? And a lot of young people Mm -hmm. get caught up in the system because of economic needs. That's real. That's um, real. And we want to acknowledge that. And then, you know, we work to, to help mitigate cases. Can we get cases dropped? Can we get community service served through the project? Can yeah. um, we find partners to help families? Um, and it's not it's not easy work, and it's not a perfect process, but, um, you know, I really value and I'm honored to get to work alongside these young folks because they are wise. They're incredibly wise. Mm-hmm. They know a lot. They have a lot of ideas. They're just not often given spaces to voice those mm. and then to see people actually act on those ideas, mm-hmm. right? To act on those ideas with them. And so um, creative justice is one way that I do that um, no, that's pow- as an artist and as an attorney. That's powerful. That's powerful. And um, another thing that you also mentioned um, during that interview that I listened to, um, obviously not close enough because I butchered that last quote. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, but no, um, you talked about kind of how you're you, kind of a, an approach you take with the kids in terms of like putting them first in terms of listening to them mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, listening versus just talking at them. Right. Um, how important is that? You talked about how it's important for them to express and have a space to express. But I, don't, I, I think that's something that is kind of lost is, you know, we've lived it. We know it. And so we're going to tell you how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, so I, I assume you take kind of an opposite approach somewhat. I mean, obviously, I believe in like intergenerational relationships. Okay. I think people have wisdom they can share. Older folks older than me and myself, but also young people have a lot of knowledge, zeal, experience mm-hmm. to share. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically, you know, what sucks about court is that you go into that space and nobody asks you, what do you think you need? And in fact, it's a space where you come in and you already feel traumatized. You already yeah. feel like everybody's against you. So even if somebody asks you, what do you think you need? You may not say anything just, yeah. for fear of like even you saying something being used against you, That's right? Real. Mm-hmm. That's real. Um, and so I, get, I could tell you a million stories about young folks, but one of them I'll share is like, there's a youth that I've worked with for a little over a year now. Um, 
incredibly talented, takes like some of the most beautiful photos I've, I've ever seen. And um, when I asked them, what do they need? They started to explain to me why sometimes they drink alcohol. And that's oftentimes what gets them in trouble with the courts. Mm-hmm. And I, I started to ask them, well, if, if you had certain things in your life that, that would keep you from wanting to drink alcohol, what would it be? And this, this young person was able to give me a very thoughtful list. And then the next day we go into court and the prosecutor is laying into them and basically saying, like, you know, you use and drink alcohol and don't want to go to treatment. But never once did I hear that prosecutor ask the young person, like, what would actually help you not want to yeah. use? What do you need? Yeah. But yeah. I had just had this conversation with them the day before where they incredi- they were incredibly articulate about it. Mm. Um, I don't have the same kind of resources the court has. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't turn around and help your family have a home or, or change certain systemic things that is, that's keeping their family that's real. out of having resources mm-hmm. that if you don't have access to those, you're going to drink to try to survive through, you know, all of that trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... It's moments like that that remind me how important it is to listen to people, that they do know what they need, even if they're not always able to make that manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're a gatekeeper or have access to resources, you really have to listen um, and then meet people where they're at or mm-hmm. meet people with what they need. Um, and that's what we have found is, is effective with, with the project is when we listen and create space for that. Um, and sometimes it takes a while. Like sometimes young people come to program for 12 weeks and all they want to do on Tuesday and Thursday is sleep. Yeah. And then they do it again with us for another 12 weeks. And like suddenly they're awake every Tuesday Uh, and Thursday. And then mm -hmm. they do another 12 (laughs) weeks and then they're like making art with us, you know, and and there's a, there's a progression to their progress. And so, um, uh, I I really do deeply believe that people know what they need, Mm -hmm. but you have to get to a place where you can express that, where you feel safe to share that. And then where you actually believe someone is going to meet you in that. And those are not things that a lot of young people, especially going through the criminal legal system often have. Yeah. I mean, I think I I agree with that because it's like there's always a story to something Mm -hmm. like, you know, like for the sake of argument, if we all drank alcohol, Mm -hmm. we could all have different reasons for drinking. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's important, though, to like really listen and like really figure out like what they do need Mm -hmm. because it could be different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I think it's just it comes down to understanding. And sometimes, you know, being an adult, you don't feel like you have to understand someone who's younger than you. Mm-hmm. right there's people that are two years older than me but like, i don't gotta listen to you i'm like, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like bro it's only two years like <laughs> calm down you know but it's real like sometimes age for some people they think age equates um you know wisdom mm-hmm. which isn't always the case mm-hmm. i feel like um now i do you know we definitely want to be mindful of your time um and i do also want to get into some things that are on the horizon for you uh, along with everything else you're doing what? um but so let's talk a little bit about some of the things you got coming down the pipeline. I know you mentioned you have a book um, that's, is it, did you already release it or are you releasing it or? Uh, uh, we're, it's in the manuscript phase. Okay. So okay. the hope is to release it uh, in November or very early December. Okay. Um, writing a book is a lot of work, but, mm-hmm. you know, looking forward to it. It's called Pebbles in Our Shoes, which is inspired by a quote uh, w- from Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. um, saying that it's not the mountains, but it's uh, usually the pebble in our shoe. That'll mm. take us down. Now, see, I just butchered that. Mm. But basically, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, when, when you're using power, when, when you're, I get it. When you're quoting <laughs> powerful it, words, man, it takes control of you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now you know what I have to. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> nah. um, uh, so I guess because you sent me that quote, and I remember I was just trying to figure out, like, what exactly was Muhammad Ali saying in that quote? Like, what do, what do you think he's saying in that quote? You know, like, um, when you're training and you're going for that run, that hill looks like it's going to be the hard thing to get through. Mm -hmm. Um, But really what's going to kill you is if you got like a little stone in your shoe Mm -hmm. and you're trying to run up that hill, like Mm -hmm. you probably have the endurance to get through the hill. But after a while, that stone chipping away Mm -hmm. at the bottom of your foot is going to really be the impediment that Mm -hmm. keeps you from finishing that run. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that quote really just points me towards um, there's a lot that I'm capable of when it comes to the mountains. But yeah. if I don't deal with what seems like the small stuff, mm. you know, especially the internal things yeah. that are like getting you on the inside when you're trying to run those big hills, that's real. then you are going to stop. You won't make it through. And so 
you really have got to stop and take those small pebbles out your shoe or deal with those things that seem like small things, but really they're causing you big problems. Mm, damn. Um, it's really important. That's damn, dumb. yeah, that's crazy. Because the same thing with me. Sometimes I put the small stuff away, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'll deal with that later. It's cool. I got to deal with this. Yeah. And yeah. then little do I know, I got to deal with that before I could. Before you can yeah, get to exactly. that. Exactly. That's yeah. crazy. And it's, it's always going to be on your mind anyways. Yeah. Right? Like if you use Muhammad Ali's um, analogy of the pebble in the shoe, mm-hmm. like I don't care how far or how long <laughs> you're running, every step you take, you fe- think fe- about that pebble. Feeling, yeah, you're feeling it. You know? That's why she said, uh, yeah. I butchered it. I was like, nah, I get it. I know, <laughs> you know what you I, mean. No I trip. Felt it. Everybody's, everybody's had a pebble in their shoe at one point. <laughs> right. Um, so we got two quote of the days today. Yeah. <laughs> That's dope. Um, and, then, and then you also are going on a tour, right? And yes. I know we, we talked a little bit about that, but I'll let you share more about it. Um, so, uh, Going to the United Kingdom hey. with uh, Miracraft uh, PR, and um, really excited about it to go do some writing workshops, perform a little music, and do some poetry. But one of the things that's really important to me is that when I get an opportunity, that I always bring somebody on with me. Mm. Um, and there's this artist in Seattle. He's just, in my opinion, incredibly talented. Although I've known him since he's twelve, mm-hmm. so you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I might be a little biased. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> but his his name is Relby Free. He just put out an album called New Growth. Um, and he's planning on putting out a new album for the end of the year. Okay. Um, but I always want to take somebody with me when yeah. I get an opportunity. Mm. I mean, because as great as I am, to be honest, like my longevity as an artist probably isn't going to be like long in the sense of like visibility, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Art will always be something that I do. I'm a creative. Mm-hmm. Um, art is a huge part of my self-care. It's also a huge part of my expression. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, Rel has a lot of potential to be yeah. um, not just an incredible artist and MC, but he has a message yeah. and he, mm-hmm. he loves serving young people. He has a desire to put music out that yeah. helps people to think about the world that they want to build and also think about the world that they're in. Yeah. And so um, I'm really excited to, to go tour in the UK with him December 7th through the 17th and um, kind of get to explore another, another yeah. scene. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and see how that lands, but also just see how we can be creative together. We're going to um, go to a studio in Manchester okay. and for a couple of days, just, just lock in, make music. Yeah, and, you know, if y'all need yeah. some bars, you know what I'm saying? I you got, got us. I got okay. Y'all. You got that you know pin. I, mean? I got a little something, something, you know, <laughs> you can't be butchering. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can't be butchering close though. Right. You gotta, right. You got to be on point. Right. I know. You, you know got to be saying? on point. You're right. That's why I, I can't, I don't need ghostwriters is what I'm trying to tell you. Cause I can't read lyrics for someone else. Nah. that's good yeah nah but that's dope and i think it's important that you know we're all putting each other on that's the biggest thing man like with anything we do you got to put your people on man. yeah people especially people that you've known a long time you know yeah. like my guy right here you know he's like man i want to get into photography i'm like pick up a camera bro like you know it's a camera right let's here. let's do it yeah. let's do it you know so yeah i think that important. collectivism you know we talk about it at, like how do we save our neighborhood but also like how do we build with each other is like I always want to figure out how if if a door opens, like how can me and like two, three, ten, twelve yeah. of the homies get through the door <laughs> yeah, too? Exactly. You know, because yeah, in yeah. the long run, who wants to get somewhere and then be there alone? Mm. You no, know, yeah, I don't. Um, you know, so so it's you know, and that's been with all the work that I do. Um, everything comes down to like building with relationships. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. that that makes me love what I do even when I'm tired. Yeah, yeah, nah. It's, it's kind of. Um, I remember Issa Rae said something <laughs> about how networking across is probably sometimes more important than just networking up right, right? and using those people around you that are mm-hmm. in the midst mm-hmm. going through it with you and making them useful but also giving them an opportunity to 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 you know try something that maybe they didn't know they can do yeah. right and it be just becomes another source of income for them it, it can be you know and you never know like someone on the crew might have an incredible skill that one day actually helps move you forward exactly. that's the other thing yeah. you know you're not always, I'm not always going to be the visible person, but I want to make sure when I am visible and my voice is amplified, that I'm making sure I'm doing for other people yeah. what I hope other people will yeah, do for man. me, you know? Yeah, that's real. That's real. Wow, man. Can we get some snaps? All the snaps. We're going to keep it going. Um, now, bef- I usually ask this question to wrap up our shows for every guest, um, and it's a great question to kind of sum up, you know, a lot of what we talked about today but also kind of to cast what's ahead, you know, um, for you and just kind of for, for the culture you know, that you're trying to cultivate and that we're trying to cultivate. Um, so if you can, what's one word to describe what keeps you on the up and up? Wow. One word. <laughs> you, you can explain it. Hope. Hope. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I know that sounds corny, but, um, 
for me, I think hope is one of the um, heaviest, but also life-giving things you can keep in you because hope can be just as painful as it can be like comforting and joyful because mm-hmm. hope means you still believe in something being able to happen mm-hmm. um, even if it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that can be both a painful but also inspiring place to be in. And mm-hmm. so, you know, hope from so many places, young people, um, elders, creativity, mm-hmm. um, the small glimmers of, like, good things happening. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to find, like, a little moment of hope every day, even on hard days like today, you know, when I saw one of my young folks get sentenced and sit up, mm. um, uh, seeing them still be able to, like, leave that courtroom with their head up mm-hmm. um, and, you know, tell us, yo, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to make something for myself no matter what. Mm. You know, it's a moment of hope, right? Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. means, like, I got to... St- I got to figure out yeah. how to make sure something happens, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, hope. That's real. That's real. I like that. That's the first yeah. one. That's the first time we got hope. Yeah, that's the first time. <laughs> there's, there's been some crossover words, but this is a good one. I like mm-hmm. it. I like it. And hopefully the listeners and viewers definitely can pull. I'm sure they I'm sure they pull something from this episode, if nothing. If nothing, it's hope. Yeah. yeah. If nothing, they, they, they realize I don't know how to quote anybody. <laughs> so I'm not going to quote nobody no more. Uh, but yeah, Nikita, we, we appreciate you for coming to the show. Um, we thank you and uh, wish you so much success with you know everything Definitely. you got going on moving forward. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank and, you so much. And I think I think it's safe to say that Nikita Oliver is officially a member of the Up and Up. Can we get a, can we get a round of applause? <laughs>